0: Welcome to the last What the Midwife Said of 2020. This is the podcast that's all about how babies and families are made. That sheer (laughs) being in your mind and in your body and in a horrible place and then one one second it's just done. Yeah and right before it's done you really want to poo yourself as well. (laughs) It's so grim. It sounds like like, like a version of Wonder Woman lightning crotch. I quite like the idea of that. Perhaps that's my alter ego. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm
1: going to be a woman. I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> and Jamie's like, calm down. And I'm like, no, but I'm ready. It was my mummy said to me when I said no, she went, look, lol, if they are offering you this. It means I think you're going to live. And it means I think you've got a future. Yeah,
0: you think, how am I going to squeeze out a whole <laughs> other organism from that small place? The first time round, it was... I was saying to the midwife, hey, I feel like I need to push, I need to push, something's just, you know, and mm. it was a lot of, no, don't push, you're going to reverse everything, stop pushing, stop, literally shouting at me. I've walked out onto stage in front of thousands of people, I've, you know, I, I've done all sorts of crazy stuff, and my thing before I do anything scary is, you've grown two humans in your body. Nothing scarier than that. My name is Leah Hazard, I'm a mother. Author of the best selling memoir Hard Pushed, and I'm the Midwife, in case you were wondering. In this series, I'm having honest conversations with some incredible guests, taking a deep dive headfirst into their experiences of fertility, pregnancy, birth, and parenting. We'll explore the way we see our bodies and our relationships, the choices we make as we build our families, and the highs and lows that those choices can bring. No judgement, no shame just what the midwife said. And I want you to join the conversation. If you have any questions or you'd like to share your experiences, you can find me on social media at Leah Hazard on Instagram or at Hazard underscore Leah on Twitter. Just include the hashtag what the midwife said. My guest in this episode is Dr. Amir Khan, a familiar face from the Channel 5 series GPs Behind Closed Doors a frequent commentator across the media about current health issues, and the author of a fantastic new book about his career in the NHS, The Doctor Will See You Now. He's not just a pretty face off the telly, though. Dr Khan's a full-time GP with a special interest in diabetes, minor surgery and child health. He's also a GP trainer and an outspoken ambassador for the National Wildlife Trust. As his social media followers will know, he's an early riser, a keen runner and an avid baker when he's not running errands for his formidable mother known to all as Mama Khan. Welcome, Dr. Amir Khan. Dr. Amir Khan, thank you so much for joining me this morning.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited. Thank you.
0: Oh, it's an absolute joy. Now, just for the listeners at home, you should know that Amir and I, even speaking to each other just now, is a huge triumph of technology <laughs> because this morning we've tried to get each other about six times and we actually tried to record this at first uh, a couple of months ago. Yes. And- poor Amir was sitting in his office at the end of a diabetic clinic, trying to get online on an NHS computer, which, as we all know, is stressful at the best of times. I mean, you can barely even open a new window on one of those, let alone do a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. It was
1: was tough, wasn't it? And I was, I mean, I felt really bad because the computer just would not allow me to to log on to the the recording part of the, the website. And it was just, Oh God, it was, it's so stressful, isn't it? When technology fails, it's so stressful. We feel like you're letting everyone
0: down. Oh, it's the worst. I felt so awful. I was sitting here hundreds of miles away from you. I could feel your blood pressure rising from here. And I thought, oh no, this is never going to happen. But thank you so much for trying again.
1: Yes, we are, we are in business this time, which is important.
0: <laughs> we are. We're in business. And you're on a day off, which is uh, fantastic. And I can imagine much needed
1: definitely well yeah I I mean don't get me wrong I I really like work but it is always good to have some time off so I've got the morning off uh and and I've been for a lovely run uh and I'm I'm now doing this and I might actually do a bit of baking before I head off to work as well and take something in for for the staff that's the plan best laid plans and all that
0: so what should we bake today then what are you going to make you think
1: I'm slowly slowly getting into the Christmas spirit and I've bought some google Humph trays which are like the miniature ones so so they're like little. Cakes with a hole in the middle. They're Swiss kind of themed, but I've also got some tiny little holly and berry decorations. So I'm going to ice them, scatter some holly and berries over them, and I'm going to take them into work. That's my plan. If I. Oh. <laughs> that a, sounds so good. happened, but that is the plan.
0: Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can now look back on Amir's social media and you can see whether yeah. that happened. You can go <laughs> yes. through the space-time continuum and find out. Um, and so I have so many questions. I feel like we could take this in so many different directions. So my first two questions, very crucially, um, number one is, are you still wearing the astronaut pyjamas you were wearing on Instagram <laughs> last night? And uh, number two, how are the hedgehogs? So fire away. Oh, well,
1: I have actually got... Dressed, so I'm, I'm just wearing like my day clothes now but i will be back in the astronaut pajamas tonight <laughs> uh, and then the hedgehogs are good the hedgehogs are good they are you know you know what I, I think i underestimated the responsibility that comes along with looking after hedgehogs uh because um because they poo a lot and they wee a lot and they they and they poo like day and night you know they're asleep for most of the day but somehow when i go and check on them they've managed to somehow in their sleep poo and uh and 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 also they need a lot of exercise so i have to let them out and about the house and uh there's always a constant cleanup effort after that, too. So oh,
0: and you can't are, really train them to use like a litter tray or anything, can you? They're probably not that bright, I'm guessing.
1: No. And, and I have to bear in mind that they will be returning to the wild come the spring. So I don't want to domesticate them too much. So I, I try and handle them as, as little as possible because I don't want them to get used to humans. So, so and they'll be out again in, in probably March time uh and And so they do need to remain wild and a little bit afraid of us uh uh just for their own survival, really, but they are gorgeous, they are cute and they are lovely, and they are growing, which is why I've got them we've got to make them put on weight. I do feel like a bit like a like an anxious dad every morning when I weigh them because I'm like oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if they haven't bought any weight I feel like I personally failed that night i like right oh, okay <laughs> god you're
0: like something. one of these you're like one of these dads at a playgroup who just wants to like talk about his child's poos in great yes, detail I've I completely know. been there
1: yeah yeah and you can just see everyone switching off I talk about it at work and I can just <laughs> see people switching off <laughs> you don't understand I know you think they're only hedgehogs but they're really really important <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I'm really emotionally invested I'm following you on Instagram I'm I down with the hedgehogs and you're I mean, can we say kind of fostering them? How did you get involved?
1: Okay, so it's from a local hedgehog um um hospital essentially, which is just run out of the back of someone's house who's an expert in looking after them. Uh and this year she we well we we regularly donate to them, so blankets, food, money, whatever they need. And and once while I went around to drop off some stuff and she was really just overwhelmed with the number of hedgehogs that she had and she was running out of space and having to turn uh, injured or unwell hedgehogs away. Uh, and there were two that she treated, one of them uh, had been run over and only has three legs and, and and had a skin infection and the other one had a lung infection and she's treated him for all of that. So they were doing well. It's just that they needed overwintering to to help them put on weight because they weren't well enough to go and hibernate themselves outside. Uh, so she said, "Look, these are my lowest maintenance hedgehogs. Will you please take them so I can take some other ones?"
0: <laughs> like what? Well, like even you <laughs> yeah. could could raise these hedgehogs, <laughs> <Yeah>. Amir?
1: <laughs> uh, she's asked me a number of times, and I've always said, "No, no, 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 no." And then I, I just couldn't say no for a million times, so I took them. Uh and that is how I um I came to have them and now they reside in my utility room.
0: <laughs> oh, have you named them or is that like taboo in the hedgehog world?
1: No, well, they already had names before they came to me. So it's of Troy and Eliv- uh Troy and Oliver, uh and uh, yeah, they they are both gorgeous and apparently she's promised me two girlfriends for them when they get released, two healthy girlfriends. So I'll be releasing four hedgehogs into the garden and hopefully oh. having hoglets as well. So uh You can put them out to, to stud. That was the condition on which I took them. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Then I will. I'll be like a proud granddad this spring.
0: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have all this to look forward to. I mean, we thought 2021 uh, yes. was going to be exciting with a vaccine and kind of parties and gigs. No, it's <laughs> no, Amir's hedgehogs are breeding. Yeah,
1: <laughs> this is the number one thing to look forward to.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm really excited. And I can imagine, I mean, we could, we could turn this into the hedgehog pod. I imagine um, that the, <laughs> the hedgehogs are a welcome diversion, Amir, because uh, on a serious note, the last year must have been um, a, a little bit challenging for you, I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it has been challenging. You know, I, I'm a GP, so I don't work in the in the hospital. So the real challenge, I imagine, is has been the people, you know, in A and E, in ITU, and the medical ward who have been really uh, fighting the, the the battle for us. But in in terms of general practice, what uh, and I, I've written about this actually when the when the pandemic first hit, uh, we had to divide our sites up into red hubs and blue hubs, and blue hubs where we would see patients or talk to patients who didn't have any COVID patients and then the red hubs were set up to see people who weren't unwell enough to go to hospital but had a cough and a fever but could have had a chest infection rather than rather than um, uh, COVID so so you know we were there to kind of decide which course of treatment they they needed and I'll be honest with you Leah you know when you know at the start of the pandemic when we knew very little about the virus when PPE was in short supply and uh People were, you know, clinicians, particularly clinicians from BAME backgrounds, were were getting seriously ill from the virus. You know, when it was my turn to do the Red, red Hub shift, you know, I, I went, but I was really, really nervous about going. And I was, I was scared each time a patient came in with a cough and a fever. I was like, oh, OK, just take a deep breath in. <gasps> and it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was... It, you know, it was really scary. It was really scary. But as with anything, you get used to it. So the second time was less scary. The third time I took in cakes. The fourth time I was chatting with the receptionist between patients. You know, it, you know, it gets less scary each time. Even now, we, we, you know, we're seeing patients uh, at quite high, in quite high numbers, I would say, who, who, who mm-hmm. have the virus, who aren't ill enough. But we know a little bit about what we can give them now in terms of, of management options. Uh, which makes life easier for us and, and for them but it is still it's still you know scary knowing that you know we could get this and become seriously ill same with with anyone really so yeah it's and it's been really tough and now we're in winter time we've got all of that plus the winter pressures that normally come into primary care
0: i work in maternity triage so we're like a&e for pregnant women we're sort of the front line as it were for the maternity services and when we started seeing sick women coming in potentially with COVID or, or definitely with COVID, it's a scary feeling, isn't it? Knowing that you are in the room with it.
1: Yes, it, it really is scary. You, we were given these really, I don't know if you got this, we were given these really silly instructions when uh, when we first started seeing patients with COVID. It was like, okay, when you listen to the chest and you ask them to breathe in and out, get them to face the opposite way to where you are uh and then um, and so trying to explain that to a patient it be like, take a deep breath in and look over there and they just turn directly towards you and go what did you say <laughs> <laughs> it's just it, it's it just like who makes up these rules it's just crazy but yeah it, it was it was certainly you know it, I, I have no shame in admitting that i was really scared i was really nervous and and you know what leah i have i, I I've, you know, worked in hospitals. I've, I've done six months of voluntary work in Africa, looking at, you know, working especially with infectious diseases. But it wasn't the same. It, there was something really particular about COVID. And I think it was because there's every chance that you can get it. And I did get it back in April. I, you know, I survived, obviously, but it, it was still a, 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 you know, a worrying time. Um, but, it, it, you know, there was something just very, very different about it, wasn't it, I think, than anything we've ever come across before.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's completely the unknown and fear of the unknown and the fact that it's on our doorstep. I think in the West, we're we're very privileged and lucky because we think of things like infectious diseases like malaria and Ebola and things like, you know, pandemics as being something that happens somewhere else. Mm. But when you're the one in the apron and the mask and, you know, you're trying to barrier nurse people or see people in isolation and do things that are completely alien, it all becomes really real, doesn't it? It's really really, really strange.
1: It's it's really strange. And and one thing that I I will never forget is how how it, it continues to, but how it, it affected our nursing home patients. You know, we were really badly affected. We look after three or four nursing homes and and two of them were really badly affected by by the virus and patients we've been looking after for years and years and years sadly sadly died. And I remember going in really specific incident, going in, you know, PPE I when I say PPE, I mean one of those magic aprons that seemed to protect, think that yeah. protect me from everything. Uh, um, you know, mask and goggles and, and gloves and, and going to see this poor man who was sadly dying. And, uh, and I knew him and he knew me because I'd seen him several times over the, over the previous six months before COVID. And this time, because, and I forgot I was wearing the PPE when I went into his room. It was just me and him. And he opened his eyes and that kind of really strange look of fear because he just didn't recognize me in the PPE. Uh, and it was just so sad, and and that it, it, you know we know it creates a barrier between you and the virus, but it definitely creates a barrier between you and the patient and the rapport that you can build, and also it affects the consultation because because of COVID and you're you're so concerned. There's a part of you that just wants to get out of the consultation as quickly as possible as well, isn't there? Just to it sounds yes. awful, but you go right. I'll do the necessities, and then I'll I'll I'll. I'll I will get out of here and write it all up later and do this later and do that later. All those lovely nuances that actually make up a a really good quality consultation have just vanished from my COVID consultations for safety for both patients and and for me, which is really sad, I think.
0: Yeah, it is sad. And I think we feel that a lot in midwifery as well, because so much of what we do obviously is clinical, but also that emotional support, that Mm. connection with a woman and her family and, uh, what i found i don't know about you but what i found is it's been really difficult this kind of cognitive dissonance of wanting to provide that good care and have that relationship and i know you prize that as well in your work but then also having to behave in a certain way and restrict certain behaviors for safety
1: yes definitely i i you know I, we definitely found that because now in general practice whereas before people could uh, walk in if they were really ill and we would see them or if uh, you know if they need an appointment they'd ring and we just book them straight in and they'd get see now we have to ring each patient first and 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 if we can't manage them on the phone then we will bring bring them in but it it's it, I'm really just a bit tired of it to be honest because you know we we, we signed up to general well, I signed up to general practice to see patients and look after them and, and do your best by them uh, and a telephone call is good for a lot of people and it works for a lot of people. But there is a cohort of people that it doesn't work for. And it's always the same group of people that get shortchanged each time. It's the most vulnerable, isn't it? It's the people who who don't necessarily speak English, who don't have a smartphone, so can't click on links for a video consultation. Uh, um, and and so it, it always feels, you know, just much like COVID has affected uh, you know, the the, the the poorer socioeconomic disadvantaged people more than uh, people who don't fit in that category. So has the way we're, we're working as well. And we try our best. but But, you know, in the back of my mind, I know, you know, they are the most disadvantaged yet again.
0: Yeah, and that's really frustrating because, as you say, those are the ones who are most socially and clinically vulnerable, really, as this pandemic continues. And I would imagine as a GP, I mean, that's so challenging to deal with those vulnerable patients as well as everyone else. And GPs have really taken a lot of stick this year, haven't they, with all this kind of occasional stuff that pops up in the media about GPs being closed and I can't get an appointment, this, that and the other, when in actual fact, we know that you've been working harder than ever um yeah i mean have yeah. there been times when you've wondered whether you know you, you could really hang in there and anyone really appreciated what you were up to or or have there been times when you've never been prouder to be a gp
1: well i think it's a bit of both really yes we have taken a lot of stick in the media from very kind of people people who don't know what they're talking about essentially who think we well, we've been closed no we we haven't been closed we haven't we we're actually dealing with more patients now than we've ever done before. Uh, And yes, we had to adapt just like everyone else. We had to adapt to to the pandemic. And that meant uh, we couldn't just allow people with fevers and coughs to walk into the building like we've previously done because, you know, they could infect other patients because we did have services that were continuing to run. So, so, you know, preschool immunizations, uh, antenatal clinics in the community were still running from our surgery uh, and so we couldn't just have those people mixing with potential coronavirus uh, patients. So we had to have some sort of screening uh, process. Um, and I say this every time, but we, we are still seeing patients. You know, yesterday I did, uh, uh, Monday afternoons, I do a diabetic clinic and they, they, um, they all came in, which is a first for my diabetic patients in the first place, but they all actually came in. And I think they were creating some of that face-to-face uh, consult as much as I was. Uh, and, and tonight I'm on call, so I'll be seeing patients who need to be seen, urgent patients who need to be seen. And all of that is has been going on across the country. And we're still doing home visits, house calls, that kind of thing. There is just an extra layer of protection. And it gives patients options. You know, before, they couldn't have the option of having a full telephone consultation or a video consultation or an email consultation. Those are all things that were in the pipeline but hadn't come to fruition yet. But now patients who for them, for those things that, you know, those might be the most suitable options for them. They, they, and, and, you know, they're not having to wait on phone lines for ages when they just email in their, their query. It's, 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 it's good for some, but I understand it is frustrating for others, but we, we had to adapt. We had to adapt. And it was, you know, I saw all the social media uh, messages about, you know, when, when, Things were going on about GPS being closed and 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 all of this kind of stuff. I, I try not to engage with that stuff because mm-hmm. nobody ever wins in a social media battle. No one oh, wins. <laughs> it's so
0: frustrating, isn't it? And yes. it's irresistible sometimes, isn't it? Because you can yes. feel yourself just itching to reply, and yes. then you think, "Oh, what am I actually gaining from this?" It's so difficult.
1: Nothing, nothing. Because I always say, because I've given it, because I, I, I do post a lot on social media but it's i try to be as positive as possible but i've given um i've talked to students and and junior doctors and other healthcare professionals about social media etiquette and i always say to them um you know you will never change that other person's mind what you'll get is a load of people like-minded people like you supporting you and they'll get a lot of like-minded people supporting them but nobody will cross over onto the other side so there's just no point engaging in it all you're doing is is getting yourself annoyed for no good reason and you realise that three hours has passed and you just sat there on your phone. It's
0: well banging. it's kind, I have to say, mm-hmm. I mean I'm sorry to hear it but slightly consoling to know that even Dr. Amir Khan disappears into the wormhole of social media.
1: <laughs> I did, well I did, I definitely don't anymore because I've learned my lesson but I, I don't, de- you know, it, you kind of go,
0: God, what? How did
1: it get so dark all of a sudden?
0: <laughs> like, why, why is my hand suddenly cramped around yes. my phone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've
1: definitely fallen victim to that. So yes, for sure. But yeah, it's been frustrating, but it's also been rewarding in lots of ways. And we, we have learned lessons and we've learned ways to consult with patients that we will carry on beyond the pandemic, which I think is the most important thing.
0: Well, we have to look for silver linings, don't we? I mean, we have to yeah. think that we're going to take something from this um, and and think that, you know, maybe this is a um, a time of opportunity to be a, a GP or a midwife or, or whatever it is that we're doing. But yeah. you, you didn't always plan on being a GP, did you? Am I right in thinking that paediatrics was actually your first choice at some point?
1: Yes, that's right. So so I, I went to Liverpool University. And there's an amazing children's hospital. Liverpool, most people will know it, Hey Children's Hospital uh and i did a lot of my student placement there and i after my um due because i'm a bit older than most now we don't we didn't have foundation years but i was a junior doctor we had junior house officer uh and and when i was a junior house officer i applied to do pediatrics and i did two years of peds training uh, mm-hmm. uh which i really enjoyed there was they were all in Alder Hey uh and i really really liked it and then uh, it was the middle of the night and it sounds so bizarre and i was getting a cannula into a child who come in uh, a cannula is a sorry for those people who don't know. Sorry, I'm going to medical charge, It's a, a drip uh, uh, into into someone's uh, vein, so we can administer medication or fluids. Um, I, and there was, a, I think they were about two or three years old, and I was I was getting a cannula and I was talking to the child and con, you know consoling them, calming them down. And I came away from that, and I just thought, you know what, I really miss adult conversation. <laughs> 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 and the only adult conversation I have is with really anxious and worried parents at the time and that's not really conversating you just kind of and, and, and I, I just remember when I was doing my GP lessons, I talk a lot and I'm really nosy and I ask a lot of questions and I remember thinking, God, general practice is really good if you're really nosy about people's lives.
0: <laughs> yeah, midwifery is quite good for that as well. You yeah. can find out all kinds of
1: things about people. It I is, love it. It's great. So, so, and pediatrics didn't really lend itself very well to that side of my personality. So so, I um, I said goodbye to these, which was a shame because i just finished doing my membership exams as well. So I was like, oh, I'm going to, it's fine, it's great. But um but then I switched over to general practice, and and I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I've never really looked back. It's it's it's, it's a really good decision for me, uh, and and now I get a balance between seeing children, seeing adults of all ages. So it's it, it and and being nosy and asking questions, and 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 people expect you to be nosy and ask questions. Yeah, they actually
0: want you to. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you've really knocked it off. (laughs) But that's good. That was obviously a really good fit for you. And I think it's every person's dream, isn't it, to do the thing they're meant to be doing? Do you know what I mean? That really appeals to their personal interests and inclinations and nosiness or whatever you you want to call it.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I I think, you know, it took me a time to find what I wanted to do because I wasn't ever one of these people who you know I was really jealous of those kids at school who always wanted to be doctors and had a really good story as to why they wanted to be doctors and I was like oh god I don't have one of those stories where I nearly died and someone saved my life and I want to be just like them <laughs> I just don't have one of those stories <laughs> and it was kind of I yeah. said why do you be a doctor and I was like well I can't I don't I wanted to be a vet but I did some work experience in a in, in, in a vet uh, and uh veterinary surgery and i realized that i can't cope with the suffering of animals very well uh, which is really bizarre because i find that harder to cope with than than humans i think with humans you can really because they can articulate it and you can help them i think that you know in a way that they well just because i think because you can converse with them might make things easier for me uh Mm -hmm. but um but so yeah, my mum suggested uh, uh, I, sh- I should apply for medicine, and because because I was doing the right subjects for veterinary medical school, it lent itself very well for human medicine. <laughs> so uh, so, and also I don't want to say no to my mum, So I uh, so I applied to do medic medicine. But honestly, you know, at the time I was like, I'm not quite sure, but I am so sure now. And I think the moral of that story really is, I, you know, I was 27, 28 before I realized that general practice was the right thing for me. So if you're, if you're young and thinking, God, I don't know what to do, don't, it'll fall into place. You know, you'll find something, uh, and it might just take you a bit longer than other people, but you'll find something.
0: I completely agree. I mean, I was 32, 33 when I began, excuse me, when I began my training as a midwife, I had oh, sort wow. of had a whole other life before that. Um, yeah. and I'm the grand old age of 43 now. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to say I never look back. I have looked back from time to time, but I know now, I know now that it is definitely what what I was meant to do. And let's go back to this formidable woman that you've just mentioned a few times, Mama Khan. Mama Khan has to make an appearance. I love it. Yeah. You you grew up in a house with this very strong woman and six sisters, am I right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So my, my father sadly passed away when we were very young. Uh, and so my mum kind of took on this role of looking after us so we, we you know there were seven of us and, and my mom and i uh, you know i'm always like in awe of what she's managed to achieve because she worked as well you know she came to the country you know not speaking any english whatsoever she she came and my dad came two years before her after they got married and he managed to get a job he was a train driver and then a bus driver uh, and then he and she came uh, when he'd settled a little bit uh, and and you know through through the, the loveliness of her, her lovely neighbors you know they taught her english she, she tells these stories really articulately actually she says oh they told me about english money and how to count english money and when i went to the shops they told me you know they'd come with me and count the money out for me and tell me what to do but she worked her way up from from that and then she was a cleaner and then she was a nursery nurse at a school and she went to night school and had all these children and she and 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 then she became a social worker and then she was head of the the social working department, the social service department that she worked in in Bradford. Uh, So it was, you know, it was a real, um, you know, she wasn't just bringing up seven kids. She was also like really carving out a career for herself. Uh, But that has meant she is a very... Posse lady. I think that's probably the best word for her.
0: You can see it. I won't tell anyone. You think she'll I get, be listening. I don't know. I
1: get, I get <laughs> palpitations when I talk about her. In case she's behind me, she's like in a whole different city, but she, you know, I just still get palpitations. Um, uh, and I think because, you know, she's always been so involved in our life, she's finding it very difficult to let us go as adults, as most mums and dads do, really. And And yeah, she plays a very pivotal role in all of our lives now. You know, we can't get anything past her, (laughs) really.
0: I think pivotal is very diplomatic. You've put that very, very nicely. And I have to ask, I mean, when I was reading your wonderful book, The Doctor Will See You Now, um, much recommended, it really struck me that you grew up in this kind of strong female environment with these sisters and your mum. And was the young Amir completely grossed out by women and their kind of health issues? Or, as an aspiring doctor, as you went through your training, was Obs and gyne ever something that you could ever see yourself getting involved with?
1: Well, I, I was never grossed out, really, because I, I didn't know any difference. So, we had six sisters who were talking about, you know, girl things, lady things all the time. It was just part and parcel of it. Um, bearing in mind, we are a South Asian family and a Muslim family, so we we, we, we didn't often talk openly about. Gynecological conditions. Now we do because uh, my other sister is a doctor as well, and, and everybody's a bit more grown up, and now we, we're a bit more comfortable talking about it. But growing up, it wasn't really the thing that we did talk about. But, you know, I, I'm very comfortable about around women and ladies, and, and I did do a six month Obs and Gyne job as I had to do to be a GP. Uh, and you know what? I started off, and don't hate me for this, Leah, but I started off. <laughs> hated it i hated it uh, to begin with i hated it because i just thought god this is so hard and i was you know you know what it's like the labor ward is so stressful isn't it even though as a junior doctor you you don't get to do very much but i was just constantly nervous uh, the midwives were lovely by the way i've got to get that and they were genuinely lovely but oh, I'm you know glad. at the end of like three months into it when i with anything new isn't it it takes time to know what you're doing uh I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh and I was really sad to leave by the end of it. And I I, I made friends with you know the consultants, the midwives, the registrars, uh and I'm still friends with them now. We we, we, we we still meet up when we when we could. Uh and it was one of the I think it's the kind of job like a lot of medical jobs are, but I think obstetrics in particular kind of bonds you to the people that you work with quite 'cause of cause of it's so so it can be such an emotional job, can't it? There's so much that can mm-hmm. happen uh, on a labor ward or on an obstetric ward. Uh, uh, and those shared experiences really do bond you to the people that you work with, because nobody else really gets it, I guess. Uh, and, and and yeah, no, I, 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 it wasn't for me, but I really enjoyed those six months. I really, really did.
0: And what do you think swung it for you? I mean, I, I think you're not alone in that initial feeling of sheer terror because bless them, we you know, I work in a teaching hospital and we get these junior doctors in who are GP trainees or foundation year two or whatever. Yeah. And many of them are like deer in the headlights and I really feel for them because the environment is really fast-paced it's scary you're not just looking after one patient you're looking after two at a time the mother and the mm. baby obviously um and and it's scary but you do see some of them go through that transformation of really enjoying it by the end of it so can you remember what it yeah, was it, that kind of swung that for you it,
1: but when you come from a medical speciality so I came from care of the elderly to and uh, and care of the elderly is really familiar because you, you learn about all those illnesses through medical school. Uh, you know, it, it, it lends itself well to your AE job and any other, and your GP job. It lends, you know, there, there's a lot of familiarity within that kind of job. When you come to obs and gyne, you've done an obs and gyne placement in medical school, but it wasn't very long and you didn't do a great deal. And so, and, and you've, you've read everything in books and you kind of, know the theory, but as you know theory and, and and practical stuff is so so different so when you get there you kind of just think, God this is so different to everything else i've I've done you know it is so different uh and so it, it takes it took me about three months to get my head around it to feel more comfortable in it and and familiarize myself with the conditions and the different symptoms that people could come in with uh, and so when when someone said, you know, look at this CTG, it, you know, I didn't have that fear anymore of looking at a CTG. But, um, but yeah, I think that's what it is. You know, they, they, it's just so different to any other speciality. Uh, and there's so much at stake as well. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. It's so nerve-wracking. Uh, and, and so it takes time to, to familiarise yourself with it, to get comfortable with it. And once you are, and with everyone as well, then you start to enjoy it because you become a bit more confident and you can relax and be yourself a little bit more. Um, and and I think that's what swung it for me. And I imagine that's the same for, for a lot of people.
0: Yes, I think they can kind of relax into it. And as you say, that sort of sense of camaraderie and teamwork kind of comes into play. And you think, yeah, I can trust these people. We've been in really high pressure situations together and we've we've come through it and maybe even enjoyed it. And that's, ah. that's really rewarding. Um, yeah. and It's funny, you know, thinking about students and junior doctors coming through OBS and gynae recently, we had, um, I think it was kind of fifth or sixth year medical student in our department in triage. And he was doing some bloods and he was doing cannulas, as you've said, these kind of IVs that go in your hand or your arm. And to be honest, he was leaving a bit of a trail of mess behind him which, as we've discussed prior to the podcast, is just not on. And (laughs) I gave him a a kind of (laughs) gentle telling off for leaving blood all over the sharps box and bits of wrappers and things here and there. And he he took it well, to be fair to him. But he said that uh, in his experience and amongst his peers, that midwives, to even a greater extent than nurses, have quite a reputation for making doctors cry. Oh,
1: yeah,
0: Is that true? Yes yeah (laughs) the reputation
1: is true i haven't actually seen any evidence of that but the reputation is definitely true so in terms of like for like ferociousness if that's a word midwives are definitely like you get told you get you get you get told that they are the ones to look out for get them on you you know get get on their good size it's really really important nurses come a close second but but for some reason midwives are the number one I suspect it might be, and you'll know this better than I do. Really, is because you guys know know all the stuff. You are experts. You know we are just passing through, or we, you know, we are learning. But you guys are like proper, proper experts. So you don't want doctors kind of coming in, going, you know, giving it all of this and and thinking they know stuff that you guys. God, God, I can't even imagine all the stuff you guys know. Uh, And and so I think historically, you know, when when doctors. Can, and and they still can be but you know historically doctors can be arrogant and and so so i wonder whether midwives had a, a reputation of putting them in their place quite rightly because they are the experts when it comes to this stuff uh and and so maybe that's kind been, of been handed down from junior doctor to junior doctor but I, I, i'll be <laughs> honest i have definitely not seen any evidence of it uh, um, <laughs> so but yes you are oh, right. you're we very kind But we get very clearly, explicitly told, midwives, man, they are, they can be something else and and, and just get on the right side of them. So, so I think that's quite, I think you should, you should carry on with that, though, because surely it means the doctors (laughs) come and give you chocolates and biscuits and nice to you, right? You want to keep that reputation going.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, we, we want a, a pleasant collegial repu- reputation and a relationship, I guess. We certainly don't want sort of, you know, at each other's throats and we don't want anyone cowering in fear, but cakes are good. Cookies are good. Um, I had to laugh though, because cakes my- Cakes are good, yes. Yeah, cakes are great. We used to have Bake a Cake Thursday for a while. We had a batch of really, really keen junior doctors and they had, um, every week they were told they had to bake a cake for the midwives, but sadly that tradition has gone by the wayside. We really need to, to, oh, to bring no, that back. I love
1: it. When you get a junior doctor
0: I love it I love it when you get a
1: junior doctor who bakes you know and, and, and it's just so nice and it's so sad when they leave
0: <laughs> I know I know and some of them are so keen and then at the end you know they bake all these fantastic cakes and they get better week by week it's like bake-off they get more elaborate they've got showstoppers and then finally the oh. last week of their rotation they go um excuse me, and they kind of sidle up to you, excuse me, would you mind filling in this peer feedback form? <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. I see where this is going.
0: Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's the same across the NHS.
1: It is, it is. We like bakers, you know, as, as seasoned healthcare professionals, you and me, Leo, I think we can put that out there. If you're a junior healthcare professional listening, bake, bake for your seniors.
0: <laughs> it helps. It really helps. It really helps.
1: <laughs> And yeah.
0: To be honest, I mean, I think the, these kinds of traditions and things, we, we laugh and we joke and, and about trying to kind of get on each other's good sides. But really, it's the teamwork and the sense of family in the NHS that really keeps you in the job, isn't it? It is the most special thing.
1: Yeah, it, it you know, my team at my at our practice, I'm so, so lucky to work with. And my best friend is one of our nurse practitioners. Uh, and she is just worth her weight in gold. She's got me out of many a pickle. She gives me lots of advice about patient care. Her specialist interest actually is, is pediatrics. And, and she stuck with it for, for longer than I did. So she knows a lot more than I do about it. And But, you know, like I said before, the shared experiences that you have, you know, the good and the bad, uh, that really, you know, only healthcare or NHS professionals know about because they, they've had them. And you can tell other people about it, but they haven't lived through it. And that that does bond you. And, and having the support, having working in a supportive environment is so, so important. And and not only for you, but for, for, for patient care as well, because, you know, we any one of us, any kind of healthcare care discipline plays a small part in, a, in patient care. It is a massive team effort uh, to get patients well again and get them back to a good quality of life if we can. And that takes many, many people at, at, at all sorts of disciplines. So yes, the team is so, so important.
0: Mm, absolutely. And do you think that's one of the things that sort of kept you hanging in there this year when things have been so hard?
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, when I did that first drive into the Red Hub and I was having what might have been my first ever panic attack, I rang my friend up, uh, and I'm sure she won't mind telling me, it was a, a nurse practitioner called Debbie. She's been on GP's behind closed doors, and she's very popular. Uh, sure. And, and I rang her up, and, <laughs> and in a true Yorkshire way, she just told me to suck it up and get on with it, but in a nice kind of way. And <laughs> she went, I'm there tomorrow, I Mia. Mean, yeah, I'm not bothered.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh no, well, Debbie's not bothered. Yeah. No,
1: no. <laughs> and she went, I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old overweight woman. If it's gonna get anyone, it's gonna get me. <laughs> I'm like, all oh, right. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll, go. I'll
0: suck it up and just go. Well, <laughs> oh, it's a kind of a bit of a competition to see who snuffs it first, then I'm here between the two of you.
1: Yeah, we both survived so far. So competition's on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I wish you both all the best for that one. I mean, Definitely. as <laughs> yeah, so Morbid humor is what keeps the NHS going, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That is really Definitely. that's where it's at. <laughs> Definitely. So as as the year goes on and as the, the competition hots up, uh, Amir, moving into 2021, um, mm. you're clearly a really busy guy. You're running your practice. You're appearing on telly all the time, which is exciting, but um, I would imagine stressful in a different way. What's next for you? I mean, what do you think next year will bring?
1: Uh, the, my major focus, like most GPs, and it sounds so boring, our major focus is getting this vaccine up and running. So, we, you know, we are working as a primary care network, a group of practices on how best to deliver the COVID vaccine, whichever one it is, when it comes. So that's going to play a big part in the first, at least the first third of, of 2021. Uh, I have got some other exciting projects on the, on the side as well. I've got a, a show with Channel 5, which is my first time I've got my own show, actually, which is super exciting. I'm not sure how much I can say about it, but it's my own show and it should be in January. We filmed it already, but it's out in January uh and it's uh it's a health kind of related show but also a bit of a personal story for me and it's uh yeah I'm I'll, I'm hoping people respond to it quite well it, it is it, 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 I had to do some really gross things on this show so and I've drunk <laughs> urine on a previous show so it's worse oh, than that no. <laughs>
0: so, oh that grossing. sounds amazing that, that sounds really amazing. interesting and it's hard isn't it um just as a kind of side note as sort of medical NHS people that are in the public eye or on social media and obviously we've both written books. It's difficult, mm. isn't it, to sometimes balance what you share professionally with what you share about your own story personally. Have you have you found that? Because I know, you, I think sometimes we can be quite guarded about um, our own personal journeys. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, like, like most people, I'm very guarded about my kind of personal life. I think that there's no need to share that. Uh, but it is a you know it's it, it's a bit of a tightrope isn't it Try, you know engaging people with social media for health messages for kind of you know positive messages uh without sharing too much uh and and it, i have found it difficult i i think i've I, i'm better at it now when i first started and i didn't really understand the consequences of any of that stuff uh um i you know i i, I made some mistakes uh but i'm definitely better at it now uh, and I know which bits I'm happy to share and which bits I'm, I'm really not uh, and 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 you know, I'm really lucky I've got lovely people who, who, who follow me on social media and comment and they are so respectful and so nice and I think if you put nice things out on social media and don't put horrible horrible things out Uh, you'll just get nice people back eventually.
0: (laughs) I'm going to try and wrap it up because uh, we could could just go on for hours with a question that I'm asking everyone at the end of every episode. And that is, I mean, obviously this podcast is called What the Midwife Said. And that's a nod to the fact that the things that people say to us really matter, whether we're patients or colleagues, and they stay with us and and language matters in the way that we speak Mm. to people. So I'm going to ask you if you can think of something that uh, someone has said to you in the course of your career that really stuck with you. It can either be a scary midwife, or a, <laughs> a doctor, or one of your students, maybe um, something that has really stayed with you and resonated.
1: You know, it's always nice when patients say nice things, isn't it? It's always really nice. But I think when your colleagues say something, it, it, it really makes a difference. And I, I train GPs. Uh, and, uh, and 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 hopefully i offer them a kind of a supportive environment in which they learn and, and become become gps and and one of the one of the things that a, a gp trainee said to me before she left actually was she she said she wanted to have a rapport with her patients like i do in that they feel like family members and and i think that really because i think when you're a family doctor you want patients to come to you and, and really feel comfortable in telling you you know, how they're feeling. And it's so hard for a lot of them, isn't it? And it's important. And I always say to my trainees, you know, remember, yes, you are under a lot of pressure in 10 minutes. It's really tough to, to do anything in, but this is their 10 minutes. It's not your 10 minutes. So make sure you, you make it count. Uh, and and when she said that to me, you know, that, that you have this rapport where, you know, it just feel like you're talking to a family member. I think that, that really hit home because, you know, if, if someone's noticed that, then I'm doing something right. Uh, and and yeah so that was that was lovely to hear
0: that is lovely and I think that's really been your trademark isn't it all the way through sort of early days of GPs behind closed doors all the way up till now people that watch you and have come to know you really can tell that that time matters to you and you're 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 happy and keen to give people their time and to listen to their story and that's what makes you you and that's just wonderful Thank you so much. Thank you. It's really <laughs> sweet. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Well, I, I think I should wrap it up there. Otherwise, I really will keep you until you start your work in uh, two and a half hours time. I know. I've got
1: cakes to bake. Don't forget. Otherwise, you have to have
0: get all mad busy. Yeah, thing, yeah, get that mistletoe and holly on those cakes. I want pictures.
1: <laughs> I'll post pictures. I will post them.
0: <laughs> Please do. Well, thank you so much for coming and speaking to me today. I really appreciate it. It's been a joy.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Cheers.
0: Huge thanks to Amir Khan for that fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'd also like to take this opportunity to send an even bigger thank you to all of you who've listened to what the midwife said since its birth a few months ago. Together, we've opened up conversations about so many topics, from perineal massage and fanny daggers to birth drama and racial inequalities. We've laughed and we've cried together and we've learned that what the midwife says, and what women, families, and caregivers say can really make a difference. I didn't really listen to podcasts much until the pandemic hit, and then these little conversations from all corners of the world became my refuge on endless lockdown afternoons and tearful dog walks. If my podcast has offered you some solace in your own time of doubt and sadness, then I'm so glad. Mission accomplished. I'd also like to thank my producer, Steve Bland, who's been on his own journey over the past few years. I think together we're onto something special and I hope you'll continue to join us in 2021 as we welcome even more sensational guests to What The Midwife Said. We'll be taking a break for a few weeks, but keep an eye out for us early next year. Until then, wishing you health, peace, and maybe, just maybe, even a little joy.